Matthew chapter number 22. Tonight's going to be more devotional in its content. I'm going to use this passage as a springboard uh, to open up a devotional type question. So we'll get into this passage and look at it, and then you'll, we'll use that as a springboard so we can open up a question from this passage. So here we go, Matthew chapter number 22, verse number 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. And he saith to them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him, if David then call him Lord, how is he that how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. And once again, we come with a copy of your word. Lord, we do desire to understand it. We do desire to live it. We do desire to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus. And we know that all this is way outside of our realm of possibility if your spirit does not teach us. And so we trust entirely upon your promise, the promise of the spirit to guide us into all truth and to reveal Christ to us and therefore through us. For we ask this in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Pharisees in the scriptures were the religious elite of the day. They were very much, if you know anything about them, they were very much concerned with the outward forms that they did, and they really liked to foster a reputation for being really spiritual, something special. This afternoon I read in the works of, in the works of Josephus, he said that there was about 6,000 of them. Of course, there's no way for me to uh, verify that number, but the historian Josephus, was a historian of that time, said there was about 6,000 Pharisees. They were well taught, the Pharisees were, in Old Testament scriptures. But since they were all about outward show, without the heart and the mind that God expected from them, they had the outward actions, but they didn't have the heart or the mind, they were continually at odds with the Lord Jesus. And you find continually through the Gospels that the Pharisees are at odds with the Lord. In this passage of Scripture, the Pharisees tried to trap him. Verse number 15 to 22, the Pharisees laid a trap concerning allegiance, the, the allegiance to God versus um, the government. And so they asked him a question trying to trap him about your allegiance. Should that be for the government or to God? The Lord answers them wisely. So they tried to trap him in verses 15 to 22. In verses 23 to 33, the Sadducees, who are another religious group at that day, they tried to stump him with another highly improbable, unlikely scenario about a man who marries and, and a brother's wife and all this, and then there's never any children. It's a highly improbable and totally unlikely uh, scenario. But the Lord answers them so well that they have no response at all to this. 
So then the Pharisees see that and they try to trap him again in verse number 35 to 40. He answers them wisely again. So we've had in this one chapter, the Pharisees try to trap him, then the Sadducees try to trap him, and then the Pharisees try to trap him again. And in verse number 42, the Lord turns the table and asks them a question. He asks them this question, verse 42, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? Now, you've got to take yourself out of your own mind and your own answer to this to think about what the Pharisees believed. Because you come up with the right answer, but think about what the Pharisees believed. Christ, the Messiah, okay, that's what they've called him, Christ, the Messiah, and Jesus, who is doing the talking, in their mind are two totally separate, non-connected characters. Okay? They do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. So when he says, who, who, what do you think of Christ? He's not saying, what do you think about me in their mind? That's not what he's saying. They're thinking about the Messiah, the anointed one, the promise of the Old Testament. So that's what they're thinking. So they simply answer the Old Testament Bible question. Okay, this is an easy answer. Christ, in the Old Testament, the anointed one, the Messiah, is the Lion of Judah. He is a direct descendant of David. Okay, so that's what they say. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? And they say, the son of David. Now, if you put yourself into that position with them, they're probably feeling pretty smug about this. Because they asked him a question, he stumped them. They asked him another question, and he stumped them again. They ask him another question, and he stumps them again. Now he asks them a question, and they hit this one right out of the park. They just answered his question. It, he is the son of David. But they didn't know it was a two-part question. So then he asks them, How then did David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till thou make thine enemies thy footstool. If David called him Lord, how is he then his son? Dave, they, the Lord Jesus quotes from Psalm 110. Now, in that psalm, trying not to be confusing here, because we're, we're having to think in two different realms here. You're having to remove yourself from what you think and put yourself into the, what the Pharisees were thinking. In the Psalms, David is called the anointed one. He calls the anointed one master. He calls the Christ master. Now, what was Christ to them? To the Pharisees, what did they believe? What did the Jews believe Christ was going to be? What was he going to do? He's going to come back and restore the glory days of King David and Solomon. So, that's when they're reading this passage of Scripture, that's what they're thinking. The Messiah is going to come back and restore the glory days. Okay? If David and Solomon are the pattern, then why would David, the older one, okay, King David, why would he call his relative, his great-great-great-grandson, something like that, master? Well, let me ask you this. Let's put it into perspective. How many of you, your grandpa called you master? How many of your dad called you master? 
you might have expected, they might have expected you to call them that, but it doesn't roll downhill the other way. You understand that? So in their thinking, King David would never call the Messiah master because that's the great, 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 great grandson whenever he ended up showing up. So their whole thinking is correct. Why would, da incorrect, why would David call him master? And so guess what? They have no answer for this. This question cannot be answered from their mindset. It cannot be answered. Why did David call him master if he's his great-great-grand-relative? And they have no answer. And because of this, they decided to stump the Lord Jesus was no longer a game they wanted to play. They never asked him any more of these kind of questions because they realized we cannot win here. Now, answer the question yourself. Why did David call, in Psalm 110, why did David call him master? Why did he call the anointed one master? Well, that's simple, isn't it? Because of the virgin birth, he is the descendant of David, but he is Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. And David, King of Israel, surely is trumped by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so in our mind, we have no difficulty with We understand the passage completely because David is speaking to the coming Messiah, the sinless Son of God, who is going to take the sins of the world. Okay, so that's the explanation of this passage of Scripture. Hopefully that was not too confusing, but that's what took place here. But now I want to, well, once we've explained this passage, now I want to slingshot off of this and go into a more devotional kind of thought. I want to ask you the same question tonight that the Lord Jesus asked the Pharisees. And the question I want you to answer in your own mind is, what think ye of Christ? Now, don't take the easy road like the Pharisees did and just throw something off the top of your head. Something like, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. I believe that Jesus is the, Christ is the Lamb of God that Take, who takes away the sin of the world, don't go, don't go there. Because, I don't know, but almost everybody in here knows the Lord tonight. I don't know everybody, but almost everybody in here knows the Lord. And all of us would have that same answer. It's easy because we have been born again. We have, at some time in the past, made a decision for Christ to take Him as Savior. And so, when we say, what do you think of Christ... It's easy to say, we believe that he's the savior of the world. Why? Because you made that decision a long time ago, and what would it cause you to change your mind on that? Okay, so that's really a simple answer. But that's good, and I'm thankful for everyone here who's trusted Christ as your savior. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. But we're after a different fish here tonight. What do you think of Christ? Not in his redeeming work, but in his person. Hopefully that's getting you a little closer. What do you think of Christ in his person? This is a very important thing to consider, and I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm trying to express. So let's change the whole venue for a second and get you going in the right direction. 
in my life, I've had interactions with several Amish people. How many here have had an interaction with Amish people? Okay, I've had interactions with several Amish people. Enough that I know basically how they live. I know basically their uh, social and religious and their community kind of procedures. I understand that. Now, to be perfectly honest with you, if they want to live that way, more power to them. I don't care. As long as they're paying their taxes, they're Americans, they have the right to do whatever they want to do. And as long as they're paying their taxes and doing their fair share of what everybody's supposed to do as an American, if they want to live that way, more power to you. What do I care? If you want to ride a horse versus a car, what do I care? If you want to cook over a wood stove versus electric, what do I care? More power to you. You're an American, you're free, do whatever you want. As long as it doesn't affect everybody else and you're doing your fair share. But if you ask me, what do I think about the Amish lifestyle? I say, those people are crazy. I can't think of anything more foolish than that. Trying to live in a global society on a horse it just isn't reasonable. Okay, do you understand? I don't care if they do it. But if you're asking me what I think about it and what I, if I want to emulate that, you're nuts. I don't think so. Okay, let's take it into a different realm. We all here could name some of the wealthiest people in the country. Now, as long as these wealthy guys are paying their fair share of the taxes and they are not operating so ruthlessly that they are destroying all the small businesses around them and ruining things like that and taking unfair advantage, what do I care? More power to them. Work your, your legs off earning money. If that's what you want to do, you're an American, you have the right to do that. Now, if you ask me what I think about it, I'll say, you're stupid. To live your life just so that you can pile up enough money so you can leave it to your kids to ruin their lives is stupidity in my thinking. I would never want to do that. That is a total waste of life to rack up enough money that you can be so satisfied and work your entire life and waste your family and all of that just so you can pile enough money that if your family turns out right, the money will ruin them anyway. I think that's stupid. And I would not. So if you ask me what do I think about that, I'd say that's, I think it's ridiculous. I think it's a terrible waste of life. I don't care if they do it. They have the right to do that. But I'm not going to emulate it. Okay, now are we cooking with gas here? We understand where we're at. Yes, we're the Amish people. <laughs> Do you understand where we're at here? Okay. Fine if that's the way you want to be, but I am not going that route. Now, let me, now I'm going to ask you the question again. What think ye of Christ? Not in his redeeming work, but in his person. It's not enough to say, yes, I'm glad that he became flesh. 
Yes, I'm glad that he took my sin and died. Yes, I'm thankful that he rose from the dead. Everybody in the room is basically glad of that. All believers are glad of that. But we are called to be more than just happy to be saved. We're called to be more than thankful that Christ rose from the dead. According to Romans 8.29, his life is the pattern for ours. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. So the question is, what do you think of your pattern? That's the question. What think ye of Christ? What do you think of your pattern? For instance, what do you think of Christ's humility? Think of Christ's humility in terms that I refer to very often. The humility that he displayed in the washing of the disciples' feet at the Last Supper. Is your reaction to that like mine is with the Amish? Yes, I'm glad he did that, but that's not the way I plan on living. Or do you say, now that is a pattern, and that is the pattern that I want to define my life. I want my life at work. I want my life at home. I want my life with my family. I want my life at church. Wherever I go, I want that humility to be what I live by. That's what I think of Christ. His humility I want in my life. I, what do I think of Christ? What do I think of my pattern? What do you think of Christ's love? He loved his enemies, those who despised him, those who took advantage of him, those who made his life difficult, those who rejected him, those who were unlovely. What do you think of that love? Sure, that you're very glad that he loves you that way. But is this the pattern that you are after? When you interact with your family, when you interact with those people at work, when you interact in the community, is your desire to be that love? What do you really think of Christ? Not in his redeeming work, but in his person, in the way that he operated his life. What do you think about that? What do you think of Christ's forgiveness? His forgiveness was so great that as they're crucifying him, he is saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. What do you think of that? Sure, that was good for him. But what about you? That person who wronged you 10 years ago, that employee or employer that didn't do you right, that family member who wasn't fair, that friend who let you down. You know, the old timers used to have a saying. I like old sayings. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. All of us understand what that means. If it was good for Jesus Christ and we're glad that he did that, 
then as your pattern, isn't that what you ought to do? Isn't that good for us? Isn't that what our desire ought to be? He had this forgiveness. Is that forgiveness the desire for your life? What do you think of Christ? What do you think of Christ's plans? He said, I must be about my father's business. He said, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Do you say, well, that was good for Christ, but not for me. I have my own plans, thank you. What think ye of Christ? He is the pattern. And yes, we can all agree that we're glad that he died on the cross. We can all agree that we're glad that he's our Savior. We're all going to agree that we're glad that he forgave us. We're glad that he loves us. We're glad, we're glad, we're glad, we're glad. But what do you really think when it comes to you? Are you, yes, I want to embrace this with both hands. That's what I desire for myself. Or is it simply just good enough for him? What think you of Christ in his finances? What think you of Christ in his use of time? What think you of Christ in his speech? What think you of Christ in his actions? It is not enough just to say amen to Christ's life. The intention was it for it to be the pattern for our life as well. It's a very simple question that requires some very deep thinking. What think ye?